If there's one thing Ricky Gervais did by blasting the faux Hollywood leftists with his epic monologue at the Golden Globes, it's increased his salary dramatically. And good man, good sir, you deserve it. According to the Social Climbers chart from the Hollywood Reporters, Ricky Gervais goes number one, not just as an, as an actor, but as a comedian as well. So there's several charts. Ricky Gervais has dumped, jumped 23 positions into the number one spot. Bravo. He deserves it. But there's a lot that I want to go through. I want to talk about why Ricky Gervais is, is uniting people, why, why people are, are, are behind this. And recently, when a bunch of conservatives started following Ricky Gervais, he was actually slammed for it by the woke Twitterati. And he defended it, saying, you know what? He's going to accept all people no matter what. That's what Jesus would do. And I think there's a really good thing to point, a really good a statement from the past that may be apocryphal, but it's Republicans buy shoes too. And we'll get into the history of that, but the general idea is, look, what Ricky Gervais did here, now with this insanely viral video, this one tweet with over 100,000 retweets, is he actually unified this country. Not perfectly, not completely, but we've been facing this massive partisan divide. And one of the big problems I think we can all see is that social media is amplifying the woke Twitterati types, these fringe far leftists who are becoming so vocal, they're dominating the conversation and actually gaining ground, influencing Democrats and making them go insane. Ricky Gervais comes out and he basically slaps, figuratively slaps, all of these fake Hollywood leftists in the face and everyone cheered for it. There have been a lot of people saying, you know, I've pointed out the backlash. There's been smears. They've called them right wing. And I tweeted about it. And all of a sudden, here come the little rose icon Twitter accounts, the socialists saying, nobody was mad. Everyone supported Ricky Gervais. No, 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 no. Let me tell you, a lot of people were mad. I pulled up instantly through, I just Googled it, five different uh, media outlets from woke Twitterati type leftists in media saying Ricky Gervais is is dry and how could he do this? He's he's trying trying to downplay the important work they're doing. There's tons of criticism, but guess what? Not as much as you might expect. And now we see a bunch of articles popping up. You know, they popped up a few months ago. Cancel culture isn't real. You know, Ricky Gervais, I got one article I'll show you. Ricky Gervais is doing corporate approved, you know, anti-woke, whatever. No, you're wrong. You see, what's really happening is that they're losing. Okay, what's really happening is that freedom is winning. Because for a long time, you couldn't say these things. James Gunn made edgy jokes. Kevin Hart made edgy jokes and they get removed. James Gunn gets his job back. See, what happens then is Dave Chappelle stands up. And as more and more high profile personalities stand up, the more the corporations and the businesses are willing to get behind it. And now you have Ricky Gervais, the number one actor and comedian in Hollywood, and he deserves it. Let's read these stories. And I am going to get into the Democrats because I love how they're being dragged for all, all the Democratic candidates debating right now, all white people, all the, all the candidates of color are out. The woke left is freaking out. We'll read this. But before we get started, you can go to TimCast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. There are several ways you can give, or more importantly, I have a new show coming, YouTube.com slash TimCastIRL. I know uh, we're, we're getting there. I'm, I'm a little early, but in the next week or so, we're going to start ramping up. I'm going to have a buddy. We're going to be doing the show together, talking about news stories that aren't as globally as important, but are still fun and interesting. Science, paranormal, UFOs, general happenings and weird stuff and culture. So check it out, youtube.com slash TimCastIRL, and let's read the news. Normally, I don't actually care about what Hollywood has to say about anything, but when Hollywood says the faux Hollywood leftists dominate, look, look, hold on. I got to tell you this. We have a chart 
showing that the entertainment industry of all industries tracked in this 2014 uh, uh, you know, data analysis, the furthest left industry was the entertainment industry followed by academics. If the insane far leftists who were just slammed by Ricky are now being forced to admit that he's number one, look, a lot of people might not, might not want to accept it, but I think freedom has won the culture war already. You know, I look at a lot of these, a lot of these forums where people used to talk about issues of social justice and woke outrage, and they're drying up. Ricky Gervais, okay, he's proof. I'm not saying it's over. I'm not saying he's won. I think it's fair to point out he's a very wealthy millionaire with a massive platform. He has FU money. He can say whatever he wants. It's true. The little guy is still in danger. My channel is still being negatively impacted. So I got to do new shows. I got to plan stuff because they're still coming for us. But I think the tides are turning in a very positive way. As we can see here in the story, let's read. The charts rank the most popular personalities in TV shows based on data from Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. It said 2020 Golden Globe Awards spur multiple gains on the Hollywood Reporter's social climbers charts, most of all for the night's host, Ricky Gervais, who vaults to number one on the top actor's tally. Dated January 15th, THR's social climbers charts are rankings of the most popular entities on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, with global data provided by social media analytics company MVP Index. The charts methodology blends engagement to entity social media accounts, along with weekly additions of followers, subscribers. The latest tracking week ended January 7th. Gervais caused quite a stir in, this, in his fifth Golden Globes hosting gig on January 5th, particularly with his opening comments, which some took as a dressing down of Hollywood elites, garnering memeable reactions from the assembled crowd on the television broadcast. No, 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 no. Some took? Some took? No, no, no. It was. Objectively. He literally said, shut up. I don't care over and over again as they groaned. It was incredible. Notably was Tom Hanks face when he did that weird wince at one of the jokes made by Gervais is now literally a meme. They say the buzz translated to social media engagement, garnering him the first top actors number one rank since July 2018. He also shoots to number one of top comedians, his fourth total frame in the lead and first since August of 2019. Gervais was mentioned 384,000 times on Twitter, up 989%. Bravo, good sir. They're going to talk about a bunch of other uh, celebrities that I don't really care about. They talk about some shows. It's cool. But check this out. Top actors, number one, plus 23 positions, Ricky Gervais. He's the number one actor. Okay. Now I get it. It's, It's a methodology tracking social media analytics. I think this is going to be great for his career. I mean, look, the dude's already a famous millionaire. He's already hosting Netflix specials, doing a new critically acclaimed show. So good for him, but even better for him. Now, one of the things I said when this went down was that this will send a ripple through Hollywood where they will recognize you can make money off this. This is what Americans want. And I've got more data to back this up, sort of. Top comedians, Ricky Gervais, plus seven positions. Now get this. This is where I'm outraged. Joe Rogan, minus four, and Kathy Griffin is above Joe Rogan? Harumph, I say. What? Joe Rogan should be just under Ricky Gervais or Kevin Hart. And Kevin Hart's cool. Um, I'm not familiar with many of the other comedians. But Kathy Griffin above Joe Rogan? I'm trying to drag Kathy, but I just don't think she's better than Joe Rogan. Anyway, I digress. This is really Ricky's moment. And and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that he's doing so well, that this has really paid off. But I think what we're really seeing from this is that Ricky Gervais created a unifying moment for Americans where we are sick and tired of being told to walk on eggshells. What we can or can't say, check this out from Benny Johnson, 100,000 retweets, 
20 million views. The truth is powerful fire emoji. Plus 100,000 retweets, 20 million views. Thank you, Ricky Gervais, for this moment. The culture desperately needed it. The world desperately needed it. Check this out. Benny Johnson, conservative, but he got 100,516 retweets in the past seven days. 350,000 likes on a clip of Ricky Gervais roasting the faux Hollywood woke nonsense. You see, here's the thing. The celebrities can pretend all day and night, but the reality is most Americans are sick of it. Check out this tweet. Someone said Russell Crowe retweeted this, then deleted it when he got reprimanded by his puppet masters. Sad. Russell Crowe verified, retweeted, and it got, and, and his, re, his, his quote tweet got 2,000 retweets as well. We're seeing 100K retweets from Benny Johnson, but I think it's fair to say there's probably quotes from Benny, several other tweets, all in the probably hundreds of thousands of retweets. Left and right, Americans are finally saying enough. And Ricky Gervais responded saying, wow, that's mental. Well, bravo, good sir. I, I, I want to make sure this moment goes not just to Ricky. I know he's the one who did the roast. But of course, it's becoming more popular and safe thanks to the likes of Dave Chappelle and thanks to the likes of Joe Rogan. Joe has, has never backed down from his positions, and he's a pretty lefty guy. He's moderate. He's, he's conservative on some issues, but he's, he's a pretty lefty guy. And he's called this out on his show. And Americans, he has a number one podcast for a reason. So Dave Chappelle sees it, and Dave Chappelle says, I can do whatever I want, goes on Netflix. Netflix took the risk because they love being edgy and, and, and risky, and they've done other risky things on the left for the other direction. And it's now opening the door. So we see these articles that say corporate approved jokes, yada, yada, yada. No, in reality, one thing leads to another. Okay. Joe Rogan stands up. Dave Chappelle stands up. Ricky stands up. The tides are turning. Okay. You can make money rejecting the far left insanity and bringing America back to where it's supposed to be or where it was. I've shown you the graph 7 billion times. So forgive me, but the New York Times showing the left and the right diverging. It's time to bring them back in the fold. It's time to tell the woke Twitterati types, you do not represent America. America is represented by the scolding, the tongue lashing from Ricky Gervais. Check this out from the blaze. Ricky Gervais fires back at angry liberals for intolerant reaction to support from Christians and conservatives. He said, it's what Jesus would do. I love this. He tweeted, I've noticed a couple of tweets criticizing me for accepting new followers who are the opposite of me. Christian, conservative, pro-life, pro-gun reactionaries. Of course I accept them. To err is human, to forgive divine. It's what Jesus would do. Dog bless all my followers. Ricky Gervais is, is the hero we need. And dare I say it, the one we deserve. This is, this is so, so, it represents so much of how I feel. I grew up, you know, uh, very briefly Catholic, okay? I recognize the values that Christianity and Catholicism have brought in the positive. And I also recognize the negatives that we've, we've done well to actually get rid of. Most people in this country, conservative or otherwise, support or, or are, are okay with, you know, same-sex marriages. We've progressed towards liberalism and freedom. And, and I, I, don't, I mean liberalism in the true sense of the word, like classical liberalism. And I think it was even Ben Shapiro mentioning that the, the religious era we're seeing today is libertarian. It's very much, let me believe what I want and talk about what I believe, but I'm not going to force it upon you. And it is, it's different. When I was younger and growing up, it was very much so this authoritarian, moralistic behavior from the right, and that's changing. There's a weird flippening happening where Ricky Gervais, who's my understanding is a is secular liberal atheist, but a good dude who's willing to tell these moral authoritarians off just the same as George Carlin would have done in the 90s to the religious right. George Carlin also did poke fun at the left. 
Carlin was an epic, epic dude. I grew up listening to him. That was the hippie liberal family I had. And so much about his comedy was offensive. He would say racial slurs. And he was a good man who believed in liberty and freedom. And he got arrested for challenging censorship. That is so much of what I I grew up with. And you know what else I grew up with? I grew up with religion and I rejected it because of what I saw in the 90s and early 2000s. But it's changed now. And as I got older, I now find myself very much so how Ricky Gervais is finding himself, right? Saying we can can be opposites, but to err is human, to forgive divine. Oh man, that warms my heart. A truly unifying moment for a Hollywood celebrity to, to, to call them out and then actually say, I will accept you. I'm here for you. Same as anybody else. You know what, man? I love this. I love this Ricky Gervais guy. I recently just watched The Invention of Lying with some friends because it's a brilliant plot. It's, it's, it's not the best executed, but it's a great movie. I, it's, it's funny. It's got Rob Lowe. You should check it out. It's a really interesting concept about what the world would be like if nobody could lie. And they didn't have a concept of lying. The Blaze says, Ricky, uh, Ricky Gervais fired back at critics who are upset that he is accepting support from Christians and conservatives. They say that he, uh, I read what he already said, but he went on to say, if you don't believe in free speech for people who you disagree with, and even hate for what they stand for, then you don't believe in free speech. Hear, hear, good sir, a true liberal and a lefty one, not, not like a, you know, a classical liberal, more of a social liberal. They go on to say that uh, he says, you say you're woke, but the companies you work for, Apple, Amazon, Disney, okay, I got to be careful here, but you, you get the point. I don't want to go over everything he said, but I do want to point something out. There is, there is going to be a reckoning for these companies. They're, they're recognizing now the value. There's a, let, let me show you this. This is from The Guardian. They say, uh, Ricky Gervais has managed to monetize this notion spectacularly, talking about slamming, you know, wokeness, saying that he is, uh, that, the, that the things he is apparently not, he is saying the things he is apparently not allowed to say on a variety of global media platforms for millions of dollars with the full cooperation and approval of the legal representatives of the institutions on which and about which he says the things he is not allowed to say. His functionally adequate stand-up act having been overpromoted worldwide off the back of his pitched perfect contribution to the groundbreaking office sitcom two decades ago. Last week, a slew of right-leaning sources cited Gervais's just jokes liberal baiting. Golden Globe said as vindication of a populist backlash against political correctness, investing its harmless waspish jibes at a political dimension they didn't really have. Okay, blah, blah, blah. You notice how they point out that all of these big corporate people are accepting of Ricky Gervais? Yet they wouldn't have been a year ago. They are today. It's not that it doesn't exist. It's that you've lost. They're like, but the legal representatives are accepting of it. And they're paying him millions of dollars. Yes, Ricky, uh, 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 Dave Chappelle, Joe Rogan's number one podcast. And all of a sudden heads started turning. Wait, you mean this is what Americans really want? That this woke Twitter outy nonsense isn't real life? Here's the point. Now, this quote is considered apocryphal contested. That when asked why Michael Jordan wouldn't chime in to a political race in North Carolina, he said, quote, Republicans buy shoes too. However, it's actually attributed to a book that was written that was attributed to a friend of Michael Jordan. And I think it's fair to say it's, it's likely that Jordan said something like this because the original story was published, fact-checked, saying a friend of Jordan said this. So at the very least, a friend interpreted something Jordan was saying as this, and that's where the, the line came from. However, it's apparently haunted Jordan because, you know, as the left has become more and more vocal, it's been kind of bad. But I will say this, not to drag Michael Jordan, but to point out Republicans buy shoes too. Okay. Ricky Gervais is an entertainer. He's not a political activist or a politician. Entertainers can poke fun at politics. 
George Carlin dragged the right, but he also mocked the left. I've got a sticker up here from a, from a Joe Rogan show I went to. I think it was now almost like a year and a half ago. It's the end of 2018, I think. And Joe ragged on Hillary and Trump on both sides. And everybody laughed. And afterwards, I told him, I was like, this is, this is when I actually, came, you know, had actually first met Joe after we, we had this like complicated thing happen a few years before. But, you know, I went to his show. I got to meet him. And I said, I, I really appreciated what you did because by getting all of these people in a room together to laugh at these jokes, but then to mock their own ideas in, at the same time, you can't be mad if someone's ragging on Trump if they're ragging on Hillary too. You, you, you kind of only be like, I get it. I get it. You got me. You got me. And it's not mean spirited. It was really funny. It's funny. Now, I do think there's a propensity for the left to take things way more personally. And that's what I really think was important about ragging on Hillary. There's a lot of people there who probably hated Trump. And he was making, he's like, come on, man, you got to admit it. He's making these funny jokes. The point is, it's not so much about selling shoes. Okay, Republicans buy shoes, shoes too. It doesn't mean what a lot of people think it means to me. Okay, well, I should say, you, you interpret it as you want. Most people are going to see that and think it means that, you know, you, if you want to make money, you've got to recognize sometimes people you don't like are going to buy your product. That's not what it means to me. What it means to me is that you have to recognize you're here for everybody. It's not just about giving shoes to everybody. It's, it's, not, it's not just about making money. If you are someone who makes shoes, you want to make sure everybody has shoes because shoes protect your feet. Why would we want to live in a world where we mock and belittle the people who can't have shoes because we don't like them? That's horrifying. I don't want to see people walking around with their feet all bruised and dirty. I would like to give them shoes, even if I think they're bad people, because I want to protect and be there for everybody. So while the line may originally be about, hey, we make money when we do this, to me, it means something more. It means when you go to a show and someone's willing to make fun of you and the other side, what he's really saying is we're all equals here. We're all the same. I'm going to make fun of you. Calm down and make fun of them too. I'm not trying to be mean to you. I'm trying to bring us together under an idea that we're not better than each other and we're all ripe for parody. Check this out. I want to show you this, Chuck. I, did, I brought it up a little earlier. This is from 2014 Business Insider. Chart shows the political bias of each profession. We can see, they say a 7.1 liberal, the entertainment industry of the industries they've tracked, the furthest left leaning. And we can see everything leans more left than right. Now, obviously, oil and gas mining and agriculture lean to the right because it's Republicans who are either rural or defending these industries. But look at this. Academics, 6.9. Newspapers and print media, 5.9. Excuse me. Online computer services are also extremely liberal. I find that weird. All of these, sec- these, 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 uh, this, these industries are separated very much so from the rest. Think about where newspapers and print media is in 2014. Look where everyone else is, all these other industries. And I think what Ricky Gervais did was really important because like this chart shows, most industries are not as far left as everyone else. But as the entertainment industry and newspaper and print media continually spread these activist messages online and keep one-upping each other, they're spiraling out of control. And we needed someone to step in and say, look at the rest of this country. You are out of it. Maybe, maybe now many of these people are going to say, it's actually bad for my brand and industry, and I'll walk things back. I'm not saying everyone is going to be wholesome, right? Like, I feel like the idea about Republicans buying shoes, too, means I want to make sure that your feet are protected the same as anybody else's. But I think a lot of these industry, you know, entertainment types care about the money. And so long as they're willing to walk back to see 
how Ricky Gervais jumped in those rankings. That's great for business. Salary is going to go up. Demands are going to go up. They're going to chase that too. And it's not going to be about destroying the left. It's going to be about recognizing other people live in this country, have needs and wants, and we don't always agree. And if these entertainment industry types in the media stop chasing after this insane far left nonsense, then maybe they will kind of bring the left back to a sane position. I want to show you, uh, let me see if I, which, which story I have. So this is a story from the New York Times just last month. Why the wokest candidates are the weakest. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's true. You see, when these media types keep pushing nonstop a further, further left message without being checked by someone like Ricky, the candidates go nuts. And so here's where we are. Well, well, Bernie Sanders, for a variety of reasons, is number one. He is decently woke. So there are risks there. But we can see now what's kind of funny about the Democrats is that the Democrats who have qualified for the debates, yes, there's a lot of issues, are all of the white establishment candidates, except for Bernie Sanders, right, for the most part. Tom Steyer, the billionaire, Michael Bloomberg didn't qualify. But it's certainly not a representation of what the woke left thinks. The point I'm making, not, it's not necessarily about Democrats, uh, the candidates. It's about the voters. The voters are saying, we don't care if Cory Booker is a person of color. This is the candidate we like, and here's why we like him. And they're getting the donations, and they're winning. And that includes Bernie Sanders, who is a bit woke, who is a white man, and Joe Biden, who is a white man, and Amy Klobuchar, who is a white woman, and Warren, who is a white woman. You can be woke all day and night, but no one's going to vote for you just because you're Asian or, or you know, a person of color. The fact is, the majority of Democrats are not woke far leftists who say, my vote only will come to a woman. My vote will only come to a person of color. Now, the average person says, I don't care about that. Do you have the right ideas? So the important thing for me, as somebody who believes in a lot of left-leaning policy issues, the only way we win, and, and this is true for conservatives too, you're going you're gonna to gain ground back in the free speech fight, is if people in Hollywood like Ricky are standing up and pushing back. So I think, I think I'll leave it there. I do have a bunch of other segments, you know, a bunch of other little tidbits I wanted to mention, like um, journalists shower Hillary Clinton campaign with cash. And it's true, according to analysis, that about uh, uh, identifying 430 individuals working in journalism showed 96% giving money to Hillary Clinton, only 4% to Donald Trump. We cannot have a functioning media where we understand what's happening if everyone is ideologically driven and they're actively promoting their victory right? So what we get out of this last final thought, this Benny Johnson tweet with over a hundred thousand retweets, what we get is a corrective measure that shows industry. You want to know why the media is dying? Because the media is going nuts. They're dumping money on Hillary Clinton. They are not representing America. Republicans buy shoes too. You want to actively campaign against the majority of this country? By all means, go, go, go for it. And what I mean by that is woke Twitterati represents 8% according to YouGov data published in the Atlantic. It's the more in common chart. 92% of this country is not in line with this, this insanity. Only 8%. So if you think your business can survive on that 8%, by all means, go and do it. I'll tell you this. I will, I will tell you this. For the longest time, they have said Tim Pool's not really a liberal, right? No, I am. I'm, I'm like where Obama was, you know, back in 2008-ish. I was probably a little to the left of them, to be honest. But they have gone so insane. I'm repeatedly calling them out and pushing back on this nonsense. And guess what? The Gallup poll came out just, you know, a few days ago last week, showing that most that, that, that for the that there's a, a, a downtick in people identifying as liberal. More people are identifying as conservative 
There are more conservatives than liberals in this country, and there are and conservatives and moderates uh, are both make up around 35 percent, with liberals around 24. And it flipped in 2019. Liberals went down two points. Conservative went up two points. Okay, so I'm warning you, and this is what I'm warning you about. But don't listen to me. Fine, conservatives will win. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast News, and I will see you all then. The year was 2013. The question was asked, are obesity and climate change connected? Well, as it turns out, according to a new study published in the Times of the United Kingdom, obesity is, in fact, bad for the environment. And it's actually really simple. People who are overweight eat more, creating a higher demand for the creation of food products, the transportation of food products. And I think it's fair to say that there is a general, you know, look, people who are hedonistic or egotistical in general are buying more luxury goods. I think it extends beyond being fat. But for the sake of this segment, we're going to focus on obesity. Now, if you are someone who doesn't care about climate change and you also happen to be obese, you may rest easy with a clear conscience because, well, you don't care about climate change, right? That's fine. Uh, I think climate change is an issue, and I am going to put the blame on feminists. Now you may say, Tim, how are you blaming? Fe- well, hold on. You all know that feminists are basically like people, body positivity. They can be fat if they want. It's not really conservatives saying that. It's actually conservatives who tend to tell people to try and lose weight, though not all of them are fit. I get that. But typically, if you talk to an overweight conservative person, they're going to be like, yep, <laughs> like I know. But if you talk to an overweight, you know, leftist, they're going to be like, don't body shame me. Okay, that was mean. But you know, here's the thing. I'm not exaggerating. Rise of fat as feminist issue shames dieters into silence. Another story. Okay, another study, this time from the Times as well, saying that research suggests that millions of women are hiding the fact they're trying to slim down for fear of being judged or mocked and labeled as anti-feminists, ladies and gentlemen, fat feminists are making climate change worse. Now, I'll be a little hyperbolic and say they are causing climate change. I don't mean to say they are the sole cause, but they do contribute a whole lot. See, not only do they eat more, not only are they producing more bodily waste, they have a higher demand for goods, and they are shaming other people who, who are in, into, uh, you know, doing the same thing. There may be someone saying, I should eat less. I should fast. And they say, that's, that's fat phobic. And then what ends up happening is they eat more, making climate change worse. And I'm going to wrap this up. Okay. I was planning like a long main channel segment kind of, for, but I decided not to do this. Medicare for all would require obesity laws from the Washington Examiner. You see, the problem with, gen- with oh, obesity is problematic, man. It causes cancer. It's bad for the environment. And now I'm going to make a very bold statement, and I must say it. I do not believe the left as a whole is a bad thing. I, in fact, think it's a rather good thing. I happen to lean politically towards many leftist policies. I think people like Kyle Kalinske and David Pakman are good people. They are are fit, intelligent individuals who I happen to disagree with on a a number of issues. I actually agree agree with them on many other issues. But I will say that the left has some kind of cancerous growth that needs to be excised. Recently, David Pakman did a segment where he said, you know, talking about this, this woke outrage left, he's, he described it as it's not even uh, you have this highway, right, of the left. And Eric Weinstein says a hard fork has emerged. And David said, I don't think it's a hard fork. It's not even an exit. It's like a, it's like a weird off ramp for authorized personnel only. That's like people are driving on. 
and it happens to be a lot louder. And so it gets a lot more attention. I humbly disagree, but I hear what he's saying. Go, uh, let's, let's, for the sake of argument, I'm going to operate under David Pakman's premise. You have a small sect of very loud voc- you know, vocal people who are dominating the conversation in some ways. I don't mean that they're, they're like the whole conversation. The entire thing. I'm saying certain conversations are clearly dominated by these kinds of voices. Celebrities are embracing this stuff. There are issues. Now, I happen to think it's a lot worse than David says, but for the sake of argument, I'll operate under David's pretext, uh, um, his, his assumptions and his, his description of it. And I'll say this. This, this authorized personnel ramp, you know, only it's having more and more people try and stuff themselves into it. They are, and, and, and it's becoming what people think they should drive on because you have people like celebrities pointing to it and it's going to cause a collapse. Now, now I'll, 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 I'll go into my own personal argument and say something bold. This is cancer. I don't mean that in like, I'm trying to insult you. I'm not trying to get a rise out of somebody or, or insult. And, and YouTube has actually said you can't refer to certain things as cancer. That it, to me is stupid because the, the idea I'm trying to convey is that there is a group of people who are encouraging other people to be unhealthy, to exacerbate climate change and to make our healthcare problems worse. There is nothing. Look, if you can choose to be overweight, I got no problem with that. In America, you want to eat your whole pizza to yourself and drink, you know, a case of beers and watch the game. Do you, man? I, I, I get it. The problem is you have a group of people encouraging others to do worse. Listen, man, I know people who are overweight and never do I go to them and say, looking good, man. Would you like another box of Twinkies? I say, have you considered, you know, getting fit and eating better? Okay, we can, you know, try cutting down on carbs. And most of my friends are like, yeah, I know, I understand. Okay, and that's the encouragement we want to do. We're not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be mean to any of these people. I'm not trying to shame them and make them feel bad. I want them to feel better. Exercise feels good. Being slim, you'll feel better than you've ever realized. And this makes you depressed and it causes cancer. I'm not exaggerating. There's a big hubbub in the UK because they had a sign that said, you know, the leading cause of cancer is actually obesity or something that affect and the, and the fat feminists. And I'm not saying this to insult them. I'm literal feminists who are overweight complained. You had a billboard ad of a beautiful woman in a bikini and it said beach body time or something like that, beach body ready. And there were big complaints about it. So then some other company runs a bunch of morbidly obese women in bathing suits to like counter the narrative. Listen, the reason why I say it's cancerous is not because I'm trying to get a rise out of people. It's because I'm trying to point out it is bad for you. It is bad for the environment. If you're an environmentalist, you need to push back against this because these people are consuming too much. They're contributing to climate change in ways we can't even possibly imagine. And they're encouraging more people to do it. Think about what that is. I am not talking about some stupid insult of the word cancer. It's like it's a bad. No, I'm quite literally saying these people are going to get cancer because obesity causes cancer. It's a contributing factor. They are encouraging other people to be destructive and unhealthy, and it is causing damage to the planet. I don't know how else you describe that. Hedonistic, egotistical gluttons encouraging other people to do the same thing. I am not saying all fat people. I am not saying that every single obese person is doing this. I am specifically referring to a subset of morbidly obese feminists who are hijacking the mainstream conversation and encouraging people to be fat, to accept this. Meanwhile, we have climate change problems. And this brings me to the main focus of the left. Listen, man, this is why I say to David and people like that, you've got to get this under control. Not that I think the entirety of the left is dominated by this, but they're gaining louder. They are becoming larger. Gallup polls show it. 
Actually, Gallup shows the trend just reversed last year, which is good news for everybody else. So maybe, Dave, you don't got to worry too much about it, and you're going to get your sane left back. I can respect that. But I do think it's important to call this out. You cannot, in, you, you, you can't simultaneously be like, we need to fight climate change and then go and exacerbate it. These people who are concerned about the climate crisis, who are morbidly obese, are hypocrites telling you to change your life towards the negative while they actively cause the damage. Don't look at me, okay? I turn my lights off. I actively try to, to conserve and not waste water and things like that. I pay attention to this stuff. But these people are going around telling us what we should or shouldn't be doing while encouraging others to cause damage to the environment. And this brings me to another, you know, argument surrounding the, the, the fat feminists. Medicare for all. Let me let, look. Okay. I'm going to, I should read a little bit of the time story for you to give you some context, but I want, I want to talk about Medicare for all. And the general idea is you cannot have a welfare state while simultaneously encouraging people to consume and consume and consume and become unhealthy. Okay. It's bad for the environment. So how are you going to advocate for climate change while some of the largest proponents are quite literally the largest proponents? And how are you going to advocate for Medicare for all when some of the largest proponents are quite literally the unhealthiest people in the country? There's an argument to be made. This poor child got cancer. The family couldn't afford it. They're laden now with $100,000 in debt, or they can let their kid die. A terrifying and nightmarish choice. I, 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 I hope no one ever has to face, but some people do. The problem then becomes you have people who choose to be unhealthy and blame it on everything but themselves and encourage other people to do so and then demand we pay their health care bill. Okay, sorry, you can't do that. That's what the examiner was is arguing. I'll jump to that in a second. But the bigger point is the planet. Let me read. If you can't stay slim for yourself, maybe you should you should lose weight for the planet. A new study has calculated that obese people are each responsible for more than a ton of extra carbon dioxide emissions a year, roughly equivalent to going on a transatlantic flight. The research published in the journal Obesity finds that in the total, in total, the extra food consumed by the world's 600 million obese people has a carbon footprint on par with that of the UK. Their increased metabolism also means that every year they breathe out extra CO2 equivalent to Sweden's annual output. Once the added burden for transport is included, Taking into account the fuel needed for planes and cars to carry, excuse me, a heavier load, the University of Copenhagen study calculates that if everyone on the planet attained their ideal weight, it would offset the annual CO2 output of Mexico's 130 million people. You want to talk about overpopulation? They do these arguments. The Guardian, it's time to have less kids because of climate change. No, it's time to stop eating. We can have 130 million more people if y'all would just get fit. Now, again, to those who don't care about climate change, don't believe in it, or don't think man, man has anything to do with it, if you're overweight, you're probably sitting there with a clean conscience laughing, saying, you know, whatever. I guess in that case, you can point to the hypocrisy of the feminists arguing against climate change and man-made climate change while simultaneously contributing more than 130 million extra people to the CO2 output. The authors of the research cautioned that the findings should not be used to stigmatize overweight people. And I agree. I absolutely agree. My problem is with those who would encourage bad behavior while simultaneously claiming we got to fight climate change. The first thing you got to do to fight climate change. Okay. And, th- and, and this is coming from somebody who raised money for nonprofits. You turn your lights off. Okay. Lights off. Don't, you know, you, you get a low flow toilet, consume less, recycle to an extent. Some recycling actually is worse, but you want to use bio- biodegradable products. You want to make sure you reduce how much you're consuming. 
reduce plastic, buy, buy bigger things that last longer, do your best. But it starts with you. Run the water, you know, when you when you brush your teeth, turn it on, get, you know, get, turn it off. Don't, look, don't leave it running. All of this stuff contributes to increased consumption, fuel burning, and, and, and CO2 and all that stuff. The first thing you got to do if you want to fight climate change is change how you live. This is like environmentalist 101. What do we get? Instead, obese feminists arguing that it's okay to be fat, but telling us we have to, you know, arrest the climate, ex- the, the energy executives, it makes literally no sense. So cut down how much you're consuming. And they're also arguing for, for, for free healthcare. You don't, 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 don't get me started, man. So uh, let, let, let's do this. Okay. I, I read this for you and I want to make a bigger point why I said it was cancerous because you have people who are continually consuming and consuming and consuming. They are hedonistic, egotistical, self-righteous, demanding, and no one is telling them to stop. I am not saying literally everyone on the left. I am not even saying every single SJW. I'm saying there is a subset of fat feminists that are causing extreme damage and encouraging others to do so. We should not be encouraging people to be overweight. It is bad for your health. It's going to cost you more money in the long term. If you choose to be overweight, welcome to America. You can. But don't expect me to bend over backwards for climate change and Medicare for all when you won't do the same. So that's the point I'm making. While I certainly would love to encourage conservatives who are overweight to be healthy because you'll feel better and it's better for everything I'm talking about, cheaper health care, better for the environment. I understand that they're not being hypocritical. They're people who are saying I can choose to be overweight and I do so. And they're saying I don't care about climate change in the first place. Okay, here's what I want to say to that. In my efforts to try and convince you to do better, because I am concerned about climate change, I am concerned about the cost of, of medicine and everything. I'll just encourage you to the best of my abilities. And I also recognize it's a free country. I, I believe in freedom. And if I can't change your mind, well, then, then that's all I can do. I don't believe in using authority and force. But we have a serious problem with hip- hypocrisy and people encouraging others to be worse. At the very least, if you're an overweight conservative or moderate who cares not for climate change, I'll just ask you not to encourage others to do the same. That's about the best I can do. But I think it's a fair point when, when it, is, it is a known fact they have repeatedly done this, okay? These, these fat feminists shaming women. Let me read a little bit of this story and then we'll come to the Medicare part. They say, most British women will go on a diet at some point uh, this year with January traditionally the most popular month to start. Yeah, because of the New Year's. But a survey of more than 2,000 dieters show that two in five will try to hide their weight loss plans from at least some people, rising to two thirds of young women as dieting becomes increasingly unfashionable. More than a quarter of 18 to 34-year-old dieters say they won't reveal they're trying to lose weight because they don't want to be labeled anti-feminist. An even greater proportion say the rise of body positivity, a social movement that champions the acceptance of all body sizes, means they sometimes feel guilty about wanting to drop a dress size. The findings are likely to raise alarm among health campaigners because of the potential impact on the battle against obesity. And now I'll go back to what David was saying. I always, I always like to shout out David because I actually think he's a pretty good dude. I think he's wrong. Okay. Uh, I, I, not everything. I think he gets some things wrong and I think he's wrong now. He's saying it is a small subset. And I'll, I will say first, he's, it's, it's, he's technically correct. Okay. I think it's an, a matter of interpretation. He's right that it actually is a small subset. The data shows it. 8% of America is woke, far left, progressive. And the bulk of, of, uh, of liberals are passive and don't believe this insane nonsense. The conservative wing is 25% and they're more ideologically, 
uh, aligned. They're more active, right? Can, you're more likely to see the, the partisan wings are 8% left, 25% uh, conservative, according to the latest. The, the, it's, a, it's, a, it's a study from last year. It's from uh, Newswhip. No, no, I'm sorry. It's from uh, YouGov, more in common. But he's right. Only 8%. The problem is they're the ones who dominate the media. And then the media espouses this message to everyone else. Okay, it was Dove's real beauty campaign showing plus size and obese women. And it's gotten worse. It's one thing for Dove to show women of all different body types. They weren't all obese. Some were a little on the heavier side and some weren't. But it escalates from there because no one ever tells them to stop. On the right, Miley comes out and he starts ranting about fat people. What do they do? They ban him. How dare you, they say. Then you get the left saying, get fatter, get fatter, get fatter, even though it's bad for the environment, it's making people unhealthy, and it's, it's driving up medical costs, and no one tells them to stop. The left doesn't know where the line is, and no one is policing this. Why is it that Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, I could get banned for this video? Why is it that they're willing to say, don't tell someone to not be fat, but when someone else literally tells you to destroy your life and make the planet worse, they say, that's okay. That to me is psychotic. And it explains perfectly the trend we've seen with the right and the left diverging. If the right so much as steps an inch over the li- or on the line or close to the line, they say, ban hammer. The left can screech and say, no, get fatter, be fatter. And they're like, that's great. Really? So why is it that you're not allowed to tell people to do the right thing? <clears throat> this, is what, this is what I don't understand. Is it because they, re- they reject all negativity? No one is allowed to be negative. You know what, man? Equal and opposite reactions. You need balance. There will be people who have hate and there will be people who have love and they clash. But if you get rid of only one, you know what ends up happening? It's like, it's like, uh, it's like the uh, Star Wars. You know what I mean? Eventually, you only have the light side and then a very powerful evil emerges. There, there will come a balance. You get rid of all the negativity. You get rid of all the haters and what's left. It becomes a negative thing. In the, in the beginning, right, body positivity was, was good. We have all of these fake Instagram models with Photoshop, and it was a really, really bad thing. I remember when I was uh, uh, like 15 years ago in Chicago, I see these billboards for these really freakishly looking models, and we would all talk about how it's very clearly manipulated. So we all got angry about it. No one ever told them to stop. So what ends up happening? Now we have Instagram reality where women's lips are like this big and everything about their body is fake. And then you have other feminists coming out and saying, don't shame their bodies, eat more. And what ends up happening? It runs out of control because no one's allowed to be negative. So eventually it becomes toxic. I should, this, this should be called toxic positivity, right? This idea that you have seriously unhealthy things and, and, and the mainstream left is championing it. Now, again, I'll, I'll throw up to David when he says a small subset. Sure, but they got billboard ads, dude. They got TV commercials for this stuff. The same company that owns Dove promoting women who are overweight owns Ben and Jerry's. So, of course, they're encouraging it. This is not going to end well for anybody. So, you know what? I'm willing to bet most people don't, don't care about climate change. Like the average person, they think about it. It's the, it's, the, it's the progressive activists that are really concerned. But if you ended up watching this, the real point is the hypocrisy, okay? You have women right now who won't admit they're trying to lose weight. They want to, but they won't admit it. And fat feminists are calling it fat phobia and thin privilege and all this other insanity. And it's destroying the environment. If the left doesn't say stop, then I think it's fair to call it cancerous. Because it keeps growing. It keeps consuming. It's hedonistic and egotistical. 
And it's encouraging others to do the same, even when they actively try to resist. How will we ever achieve Medicare for all for those that want it? I think it's a great thing to strive for. Can we get it? I don't know. I kind of lean towards no. And this is one of the reasons why we can talk about the cost. One of the contributing factors is the fact that there's too many overweight people. There's just too many. So what do you do? Pass a physical fitness test? I don't know. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel. You may have noticed I switched back. Uh, it's, it's, I think, I think youtube.com slash Timcast, my like flagship channel, needs to be just strictly a single big news story because it's, like, I was originally planning on do, doing this for my main channel, but there's a lot of reasons why I can't. And, and it's not, it's not necessarily censorship. It's structure. It's, it's quality. On this channel, I really just don't care. I say whatever and I grab whatever stories. I don't care if the video does well or not. My flagship is what's allowing this to exist. So I think from a business perspective, there's, there's a clear delineation between the, what, cha- what the channels are. So whatever. Stick around. I'll see you all at 1 p.m. on this channel. Thanks for hanging out. This story is just too ironic and juicy to ignore. Brussels faces fight over minimum wage pledge in the EU. Resistance from members worried that collective bargaining deals will be undermined. That's right. The European Union is seeking to implement a minimum wage to guarantee a living standard for all people across all member states. Lo and behold, though, some of the more bigoted far right states in the EU are rejecting this minimum wage proposal. And guess who it is? None other than the far right Scandinavian countries that are actually social democracies that Bernie has referred to as socialist. That's right. The Nordic countries famed for their far left democratic socialism that Bernie Sanders has praised as the real American dream is rejecting a minimum wage saying it is bad because you you may not have known this. These countries don't have minimum minimum wages. Let's read this. And I want to show you, actually, it's only somewhat hypocritical. Let me just not, not bury the lead. You see, first of all, Bernie Sanders has called Denmark socialist and they say, stop doing that. Bernie Sanders says, American dream is in Denmark. Interesting. Well, Bernie Sanders is also for a $15 minimum uh, minimum wage. And actually, it all makes sense because Bernie Sanders last year wasn't paying that. So I'm, I'm, I'm being somewhat facetious, but it does actually line up with what Bernie's actually done and not what he says. He can talk all day and night about a living wage, but then when it comes to praising Denmark, he actually agrees. I'm not going to pay my staff. I'm, 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 I know, I know I'm being a dick. Bernie ended up paying them what they asked for. But let's read this story, which I think is, is just so, uh, so, so ironic that of all of the nations to reject this, it's actually the Nordic countries. From the Financial Times, they say, Brussels is facing a battle over plans to introduce a uh, minimum wage across the EU as Nordic nations warn that the measure could undermine their longstanding systems of collective bargaining between employers and employees. Now, let me stop you right there. You see, thing is, I've been very critical of the the $15 uh, living wage that has been proposed. I don't think it makes sense. The real issue is the value of low-skill labor, not how much we pay for it, and it trickles up. Yet, when I say that, they accuse me of being right-wing. They say it's far right. Hold on, hold on. I thought the Scandinavian countries were far left. Well, they don't have minimum wages, okay? Ursula von der Leyen, the new European Commission president, pledged in July to introduce a framework for minimum wages in the EU while respecting differences between individual labor markets as part of her pitch 
to win support in the European Parliament. But officials and politicians in countries where wage-setting deals between unions and employers are commonplace have warned against the introduction of an EU standard under Jobs Commissioner Nicholas Schmidt, fearing damage to their own systems. But if you say the exact same thing here, they will call you far right. This is really funny. On my Wikipedia, they say, somebody from Politico wrote, Tim Pool's opinions on social media bias and immigration often align with conservatives. How is that relevant to my biography? You see what they do? They use it as a smear because in reality, my opinion on social media bias actually aligns with the left-wing website Gizmodo, who I use as a, as a citation. And my opinion on immigration actually uh, uh, is more so to Bernie Sanders, who voted in favor of border security and barriers, who claimed that open borders was a Koch brothers far-right proposal, and who only a few months ago said, my God, there are so many poor people, we can't let all of them in. But lo and behold, here we are. You will be called right wing for supporting social Democrats in Scandinavian countries. Harumph, I say. Harumph, I say to the media and whatever twisted ideology they're promoting, I have no idea. Bernie Sanders praises Denmark all day and night saying that's the American dream. Okay. All right. I propose we implement some of these policies from Denmark, including getting rid of the minimum wage. Uh Uh-oh. That's a right-wing libertarian position in America. You see how this problem is? Let's read a little bit more. They say, officials and politicians in country where wage-setting deals between unions and employers are commonplace have warned against the introduction of an EU standard under Jobs Commissioner Nicholas... Uh, I read that already. Pete Hummelgaard, the Danish employment minister, said that while he had received assurances from Mr. Schmidt that the commission had no desire to undermine collective bargaining, under which bosses and employee representatives hammer out deals and salaries uh, and other working conditions... We are not calmed before we see the final details in print. We are worried a directive will not contain the necessary exemptions or safeguards for our system. The basic principle in the Danish model is that we have no political meddling. So apparently, the unions are arguing for the left-wing position of no minimum wage. How does that make sense? Well, ask Bernie Sanders. EU policymakers want wages to converge at higher levels across the block, given wide disparities in salaries, especially between Western nations and newer members in the East. The debate over minimum wages was given a push this year when Franz Timmermans, the commissioner who was unsuccessfully campaigning to be uh, commission president, called for each EU member state to have a minimum wage equivalent to 60% of the median salary in the country. Okay. I'm going to explain this for people to understand, and then we're going to talk about Bernie, and, and we're going to talk about, and I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to be you know, mean to Bernie, but I got to point this out, right? Okay, here's the thing. There is a benefit to a minimum wage. It can level all of these disparate economies across the EU faster than just lettering, letting things kind of even out. The cost of living, while it varies ridiculously, and so a lot of people are fleeing Eastern countries you know, in in the EU towards Western EU countries like the UK, and it's causing the UK undue stress because they they have a better economy. The general idea is that you can normalize it by making sure that even people in these Eastern areas, you know, of of the EU are getting the same wage. So they won't have, there won't be this net domestic migration through the European Union. However, the general problem is all you're going to do is dramatically increase inflation. And I'm sorry, but I don't think the value of a Polish worker will change just because of a minimum wage. Now, the EU is going to leave. I'm, I'm sorry, the, uh, Britain is uh, the UK is leaving the EU. But you look at places like Germany, where they do pay better, have a better economy. 
All that's going to happen is the low-skilled work is, is it's, it's going to become more expensive and it's going to cause a rapid increase to the cost of everything because the lowest level of labor is what is, is what you have to spend for the lowest tier of products, which then escalate as skill levels increase. Long story short, all this will do, it won't level the playing field. It will just cause Germans to say, I deserve double the wage because I got to pay double the money for the widget made in Poland or wherever. Bernie Sanders' American dream in Denmark. This is a story from 2016. They say, open a newspaper on any given day here in this small Europe nation, European nation known for high taxes, generous government services, and it's stubbornly happy citizens. And you'll almost certainly find a story about the U.S. presidential election. The Danes are following the race with an astounding level of enthusiasm and interest in part because Bernie Sanders, one of the leading candidates for the Democratic nomination, won't stop talking about them. Sanders has proudly adopted the label of a democratic socialist, and he has pointed to Denmark as a model of his vision for an ideal American future. Well, surprise, surprise, they're the ones who don't want a minimum wage. And of course, I I must point this out. You know, it was a year before Denmark's prime minister says Bernie Sanders is wrong to call his country socialist. Yes, because Denmark has a market economy, a welfare state, but no minimum wage. How does that work? Let's go back to the the Financial Times and see what's going on. They say, quote, the number of people in employment in the EU is at a record high, but many working people still struggle to make ends meet and can even find themselves slipping into poverty. It's essential that workers have a fair wage that provides for a decent standard of living. Now, here's my main issue with this, right? I've, I've touted many times the benefits of a minimum wage. A lot of people argue, but I'll tell you this, everybody who complains about me talking about economics, I get 50 emails from people saying the economy is bad, 50 saying the economy is good, 50 saying I'm absolutely right, 50 saying I'm absolutely wrong. I don't care, man. I'm just going to read this and talk about it. That's all I can really do, okay? Get mad. I don't know. Blame on the Financial Times. Here's the thing. Just because, uh, uh, hold on, let, 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 I'll put it this way. The way the left operates in terms of politics is for the most part, surface level. They don't think about what comes next. You got to think about this like a chess game, right? They say people can't afford to buy milk. They should get paid more money. Okay. Do you realize that there is an individual human being who milks the cow, okay, or prepares the milk to be shipped? If you think the average person can't afford milk and you take, so, so let's, let's, let's isolate this system. You have an employee who bottles milk, He can only afford to buy two gallons of milk per month. Heavens, they say he should be able to buy four. So you say, okay, we're going to force the company that pays you to increase the cost uh, of your labor. Now he's getting paid twice as much so he can afford twice as much milk. But guess what? He's the guy who makes, who, who packages, who bottles the milk and prepares it. So now the company that makes the milk says, we're paying you double. We got to increase the cost of milk. Guess what? He can still only buy two gallons of milk. The general idea they're proposing would sort of normalize the economy of Europe. What they're really trying to do is force like, you know, Poland, for instance, where a lot of people are leaving to like Germany and the UK for more money for better paying jobs. They want to force those wages up to balance out. You know what that means? It means the economy of other places must go down. Listen, if right now people in the UK are at this standard of living and Poland is here and people are going from Poland to the UK, and it's hurting you know, the UK, they say, how about we just normalize it? That means basic costs in the UK are going to go up because they bring in products from other countries, from other EU member states. And the general living standard of these poor areas will also go up, but a net drop, uh, the average will stay the same. 
but you're going to drive up the lowest skill tier of labor. Now, I know there's immediately going to be 50,000 people on the left saying, and 50,000 people on the right saying, I, I don't know, whatever, man. There was a lot of concern when we did the Na- when we did NAFTA. I was talking to some people in Canada about this, and I asked them about how, you know, it used to be, it wasn't really NAFTA that, that, that did this immediately, but it did start happening where it used to be like one US dollar was like seven Canadian dollars, and now it's like basically normalized. And I had, I asked my Canadian friends about this, like, how do you feel? Is it better now? And they said, it's worse. Americans would come to Canada and they would spend money like crazy because like, you know, an American dollars with seven and a cheeseburger was cheaper. So they would give big tips and it would help the Canadians pay for their local goods. Imports were always more expensive. Like you want to order a magazine from the US, it costs more, but the cost of your rent was normalized for Canada. Now that, that, now that the numbers have, have become similar, people in the service industry were complaining Americans don't tip as well anymore, they don't spend as much, so they actually, it actually became harder to pay their rent. That's what happens with normalization. You know, I'll tell you this. Economics is wildly complicated. A lot of people think we're about to see a big crash. I don't know. But uh, let's read a little bit more about what they're saying here with the Nordic countries. They say this. Only six of the EU's 28 member states, Denmark, Finland, Sweden, Austria, Italy, and Cyprus, do not have a legal minimum wage. The minimum monthly levels in other countries range from less than 500 euro in Bulgaria and Romania to more than 2,000 in Luxembourg. A handful of European countries, among them Nordic states with high pay levels, are heavily reliant on collective bargaining systems under which the state plays a minimal role. Carl Peter Torwaldsen, the president of the Swedish Trade Union Confederation, said his country had fought off attempts to impose a minimum wage and did not want a new battle over the topic. He questioned how easy it would be to frame a minimum wage directive that gave exemptions to countries such as Sweden, where 91% of workers are in collective agreement. I don't, I don't see how your collective bargaining plays a role in this at all. I really, really don't. If, if you're getting paid higher and your, your, your average salary is above where they want to put it, it shouldn't impact you for the most part at all. Unless they're really concerned that there's going to be, I don't know, burger flippers, and now the costs are going to go up for everybody. Look, man. I'll tell you my big problem with the left and their minimum wage. For one, you can't call it a left or right wing position when left wing countries in Europe reject it. Okay, plain and simple. If Bernie's going to call Denmark democratic socialists and they refuse this, well, then it must be a left wing position, right? More importantly, these policies about the government forcing increase of wages or, or taxing and everything are based on 100 or 200 year old systems and ideas not taking into account how the economy actually works. It's one of the reasons I like Andrew Yang, because he's talking about automation. I don't necessarily think the freedom dividend idea will work out. We'll see. I think I, I like that he's talking about it. But listen, you look at Bernie, you look at AOC, you look at these other progressives and they're like the Green New Deal. You know, we want we want the New Deal. It's like that was 100 years ago, man hundred years ago. I don't care if you think it worked or it didn't work. It was a hundred years ago. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have a digitized stock market. Okay. Things are dramatically different. And not only that, people can easily snap their fingers and transfer wealth across state lines. I mean, like, I mean, like country lines, right? So we've got companies easily operating in Ireland and and, and, in the Bahamas and Panama when they're doing business primarily in the US. The, The communications technology is rapidly globalizing the planet. You, you can come out and say, we're going to impose heavy taxes. We're going to increase wages. And I tell you what, the first thing they'll do is they'll say, we'll headquarter, you'll, we'll, we'll run our company out of China if you're going to jack up the costs. And they'll give us a sweet deal. The competition between nations is very, very different. But you know what I will say? How about the first thing we do is we stop spending money in the Middle East? 
Okay, all of these things, in my opinion, are stamp collecting. We should increase the minimum wage. No, we should fix the infrastructure because we're wasting money overseas. All right. But you know what? I won't make this video a rant about war again. I will just keep it to this. All right. I don't know what's left or right anymore. No one seems to. Okay. They, they, if, if you believe in some weird ideological intersectional BS, you're left wing, I guess. Moderate Democrats who agree with like public health care are right wing now. Tulsi, who's a progressive who is for gun control against nuclear energy and wants a $15 minimum wage is called a Republican because she's trying to reach an olive branch. Like seriously, nothing makes sense. This story doesn't make sense. I have no idea what's happening anymore. Bernie Sanders is a socialist apparently, and he wants the policy of a nation with no minimum wage while simultaneously arguing for it and then not paying his employees until a big press stink happens. So you know what? I hate everybody. Everything's nonsense. I have no idea what's happening. There you go. Welcome to uh, 2020. And I hope you have a good time voting for whoever you you, uh, end up voting for. But uh, yeah, I will end with one final thought, though. One one final thought, though. The economy is better than ever. Taco Bell apparently is now paying six figures. Uh, That's what Business Insider reported. Some uh, corporate stores uh, paid benefits to employees. Some stores are doing four-day work weeks. Hours are being cut while pay is being increased. All of these things leftists like Bernie asked for, and it's being done through the free market. So I'll tell you this right now. It doesn't mean the free market always works. I do believe we need regulation to stop, you know, corruption and things like that. But more importantly, aside from anything, is that technology changes how the system works. And and, uh, Andrew Yang made a really good point when he said, who wants to use Bing? Okay, we want to break up these big tech companies that make sense, but nobody's using Bing right? Google is the product, is the service we want to use. So we have to figure out how to adequately apply new policy to make sure everyone has a fair shake at resources when technology has rapidly transformed how we live, how we consume, and how business functions. Right now, the big problem I see with the left is trying to impose 100-year-old policy on companies with 21st century technology. They can just up and leave, and there is nothing you can do about it. They don't have to operate here anymore. So much of the economy is becoming digital. We're not selling jars of mayonnaise. We're selling virtual mayonnaise stickers for your silly little mobile game. And they can do that anywhere. Keep that in mind as you, as you, you read about minimum wage policy and law. You have to consider this too. If the cost to operate a business in the U.S. is higher than it is to operate in, say, India or China, these companies will do it. Now, Trump has put uh, you know, the trade war. We've had tariffs on certain products. Trump is stopping hard goods. This has worked in a lot of ways. A lot of people are now bragging about how America's economy is better than China and we're, 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 we're tackling them, but they are stealing IP. And this is a big part of the trade war. When it comes to digital economies, these can be done anywhere. And that's where I think Yang comes in, hopefully with a more forward thinking approach to how we deal with this stuff. But you look at video game companies. They have no reason to operate in a country with a high minimum wage. They want to maximize profits. They will go to the crappiest crap hole where they can pay people nothing and you can't do anything because it's a digital product. Charge a tariff. They don't care. They don't have to ship anything. Okay. So you can charge a tax because the game was produced in a different country. Fine. But they don't care. It's still a digital download. So it's like, whatever, people will pay for it. Cars are different. 20% tariffs are different, but people will buy smaller products and games and digital products. A lot of these, these, these games that you get, you download on Instagram, they're being run out of Russia where people, or, or Romania. I know I, I, I've, I've had meetings with tech investors who are like, our developers are all based in these foreign countries because there's nothing you can do to stop it. The code isn't shipped. It's just emailed instantly. They don't have to worry about anything having to do with taxes, tariffs. And so they can pay cheap. They don't got to worry about costs. And that's what you need to consider here. When the world globalizes, like so many of these leftists want, 
I hope you realize your standard of living will drop dramatically. Now, here's the thing. A lot of these people have a low standard of living already. They live in squats, you know, things like that. However, as much as they might be freegans who dumpster dive, preaching about open borders, they don't seem to realize just how wealthy they truly are. Yeah, that bagel shop that threw out, you know, seven dozen fresh bagels because it was the end of the day and they don't want to keep them and you got to eat that. That's due to the wealth of America, our access to energy. And when the whole world starts normalizing due to, you know, digital technologies, don't be surprised when the bagel shop doesn't have those bagels anymore. And now you're left wondering why it is you can't dumpster dive anymore. What's that? You have a squat? Well, now the landlords actually have to rent out those 10 by 10 squares to the average person who needs a job because the economy does worse. Expect it. This is what Trump is fighting when he's trying to strengthen the borders and putting in these, in these tariffs in place. But I think it's fair to point out Yang is looking at more. Yang is looking towards the future. Trump is looking at the present and the past. And I think it's fair to say Trump has done a decent job. The economy or, or a great job. The economy is doing really, really well. But I think we have to look towards the long term, how things are rapidly changing. That's what Yang is getting at. So I don't think Bernie has the answers. And I think it's proven by the fact that he touts the benefits of this democratic socialist system that they deny is even socialist. And Bernie himself wouldn't even pay a $15 minimum wage to his employees. He told them to work less. And Denmark doesn't even have a minimum wage. Doesn't make sense, does it? So I'm not saying, you know, Bernie is completely bad and wrong on everything. I'm saying from Bernie to Trump, okay, they're looking to the past. Trump is tackling trade and borders, and it's working. Bernie agreed with Trump in 2016 on a lot of those issues. But now Bernie wants to nationalize and socialize a lot, of, a lot of these things, increasing costs for companies, and a lot of these companies can leave. Keep that in mind. So I don't know. I think that's why there was an overlap between Trump and Bernie supporters, because Trump is stopping a lot of these companies from leaving and bringing them back. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. at youtube.com slash TimCast. It is my flagship channel. We're going to be talking about, I think, Ricky Gervais and the Democrats. So I'll see you all there. Many progressives like to tout the fact that Star Trek was a progressive social justice show, and they would be absolutely correct. I believe it was the first interracial kiss. I could be wrong about this. It was Captain Uhura. Uh, not, I'm sorry, not Captain Uhura. It was Lieutenant Uhura. I, I admittedly, I watched the original Star Trek a long time ago. I'm a much, much bigger fan of the Next Generation series, you know, uh, primarily Next Generation and then Deep Space Nine. I did like Voyager. People don't like it. Whatever. The point is, because of this history, they're now trying to apply today's woke outrage authoritarianism to Star Trek. And the actors, I guess, are going along with it. Don't take whatever, man. Patrick Stewart says there is a time limit to your F state saying that the new Picard show is a response to Brexit and to uh, Trump or whatever. Okay. First of all, sure, but I think Patrick Stewart has Brexit, Brexit derangement syndrome. And I'm a big, big fan of Patrick Stewart. Mind you, like, I'm, I love Star Trek. I think it's fantastic. But there is such a dramatic difference between what the next generation is, what the series still continues to represent, and what today is in terms of like woke outrage. Star Trek The Next Generation is like a classically liberal thing. You know, A lot of people on the left try and claim it's socialist or communist. It is not. It is not socialist and communist. There is a military hierarchy. It's just post-scarcity. So while Star Trek has always been fairly progressive, today's version of progressive is something completely twisted. It's not the same thing. Well, let's read what Picard has to say, and we'll talk a little bit about Brexit, I guess. And I, here's, here's what I think. I don't want to, you know, I, to avoid bearing the lead. I think the general idea is that 
you have old people like like Patrick Stewart. He's, he's I think he's eighty years old, and so the, the he, he tries to be like, I don't want to be old and out of touch, so I'll just say yes to whatever the kids are saying. You know, like there's this there's this desire to just say yes to the kids because you're scared of being an old fogey yelling, get off my lawn. But at a certain point, everybody has to yell, get off my lawn. Just because it's stereotypically an old person saying it doesn't mean a younger person can't be like, dude, you are ruining the grass. Just because we used to have hippie drum circles in the grass doesn't mean we let the kids tear it up with, you know, dirt bikes. We still, hey man, we'd like to have a hippie drum circle still. Anyway, you get the point. The point is, I think when I look to Stuart, He's just thinking, well, because I've always been a progressive, I'll just say yes to whatever progressives are saying, even if they're being driven off a cliff by insanity on social media. And this breaks my heart. Star Trek, I'm a huge fan, but I had a feeling it was going to be bad. I was so stoked when I saw the trailer, when I saw Jonathan Frakes is going to be involved. They got, uh, um, uh, you know, data's in it somehow. It's probably a flashback. We'll see what happens. I don't know, but I'm probably not going to watch it. I didn't watch Discovery. I'm sick and tired of seek a prequels. This is now a sequel series, but... I don't want to watch some woke outrage sci-fi action adventure or something. Let's read. Patrick Stewart on the United States. He says, uh, Patrick Stewart got political while promoting the upcoming Star Trek show and his stage adaptation of A Christmas Carol. I will tell you this. The number one way to make me not want to watch your show is to start preaching about politics. During an interview with Variety, Stewart took aim at both the United States and United Kingdom's leaders in uh, in President Donald Trump and Boris Johnson. He noted that Star Trek, Picard, is him, quote, responding to the world of Brexit and Trump and feeling, quote, why hasn't the Federation changed? Why hasn't Starfleet changed? Maybe they're not as reliable and trustworthy as we all thought. Ah, there we go. Let's retcon the Federation, this bastion of goodwill, exploration, intrigue, and real progressivism, and say, no, no, they're actually bad. It's, it's, It's actually not as trustworthy as we thought. Well, you know, they kind of did that with the, the retcon series. Now, I, you know what? No, you know what? I'm going to tell you right now. Star Trek and Star Wars are just bludgeoned to death. That's, you know, Star Wars is trash. They, can, can we, like, start a petition or something where we literally just say, like, the prequel, I'm oh, sorry, the sequel films never happened? Can it be like Kylo Ren waking up and we start over with everything? I don't mind The Force Awakens, but man, to the last Jedi just trash everything. And you know what I'm really tired of? I'm really tired of prequels. Why is everything a prequel? Even with Star Trek, why is it Discovery, prequel, Enterprise, prequel? I don't care. Stop messing with the timeline. You want to know why the Marvel Cinematic Universe works for the most part? It's linear. We know we watch this movie. This movie comes next. Now, they have done films that, like, jumped back a little bit. You know, they're doing, like, Black Widow, which is going to take place, I think, before, you know, Endgame or whatever. And that's for continuity reasons. They want to give, you know, Black Widow a movie, which I'm excited for. But she kind of died. You know, you've seen the movie by now. Anyway, the point is Star Wars, like like everything, some kind of weird prequel, right? It's like, oh, this happens in between here. This happens in between here. I'll tell you what's wrong with these shows is instead of saying, here's what happened next. They say, oh, this happened in between there and explains dip. You know, I don't care. I'm sick of it, man. They're doing it with Star Trek and they're doing it with Star Wars. And finally, when they get a new sequel series, what is it? Well, I have to respond to Brexit and Trump. And I'll be honest, when I first saw this, I said, what does that really mean? Like, what does that really mean? Is he just saying, like, he wants to create, like, parallels? That's fine, right? Star Wars has always been a progressive show. There's a difference, though, between talking about liberty and classical liberalism and talking about woke outrage. So, so, so uh, Orange Man Bad, I suppose. 
From there, he goes full bore into his political views, commenting on both the UK and the United States. He questions, I'm not sure which one of us is in the most trouble. The most trouble. Oh, heavens, heavens me. Brexit's booming economy after the, after the conservative majority provided certainty and their market boomed. And then we have the United States facing, oh, it's, it's such a troubling and trying time with our record 60 year economy, record low unemployment, stock market continually shattering records. Oh, woe is me. Everything is so bad. Even if the markets tank because we've, we've been expecting a recession, we're still so much better off than we've been in a really, really long time. And now maybe that might shock people. Maybe the U.S. is headed towards that downturn. But I'll tell you what, it happens. But we'll still be better off than where we were five, ten years ago. We are slowly improving. So it's insane to me. And this is, what, this is, this is why I started, you know, I was reading what I was, he was saying. And I'm like, okay, let's see, like, you know, you can do a show that takes modern occurrences and like kind of plays with those ideas totally down for. It. I think it's awesome. You can, you can do great stuff with that. But then he goes on to say, which one of us is in the most trouble? Oh, heavens me. Brexit with their, with their excellent booming economy after the, uh, I'm sorry, Britain with their excellent booming economy after the Brexit vote and the US with its record economy. Oh, everything is so bad for everyone. He answers his own question. I think it's actually the UK. I think we're effed completely effed. He then comments on the United States. There is a time limit to your effing state, which is four years away. He does express a hope the U.S. can change, but believes Trump will likely get reelected. Change to what? A worse economy? Look, man, the problem, maybe what he's really saying is, no, no, because he brought up Trump, I'd say this. Here's what I hope. The Democrats wake up and pull their heads out of their ass. Okay, sorry, we're not family friendly anymore. That's the real problem. We are not in a bad place right now. The economy is doing great. The worst thing, in my opinion, is that we have Trump who is... Lacking a certain type of professional candor. I'm being diplomatic when I say that, but I think Trump's got a horrible attitude. He speaks in a very awful way, but he's doing a job that's working for the economy that Americans really like. Okay, they're happy with how things are going. They're optimistic. And so I can complain about who he is as a person, but when it comes to getting the job done, you can't argue with it. You can complain about certain things here and there, but it's been a general net positive because we're talking about the working class, the economy, improving people's lives. Wages are going up. Unemployment is going down. The economy is great. I'm sorry. The real problem is cultural. I can respect that. And what we need is not for, for uh, you know, Trump will be reelected. Re- yes, we need the U.S. to change. We need Democrats to wake the F up. The actor also had something to say about his stage adaptation of Christmas Carol. Stewart starred as Ebenezer Scrooge in the 1999 TV movie. However, the stage adaptation sees Stewart playing 30 different characters. That's pretty cool. I- I'm a fan of Patrick Stewart. I think he's a great dude, but I just can't stand the politics. I'm, I'll, I'll be the first to say, man, separate the, pol- the, the art from the artist. You know what I mean? I got no problem watching Marvel... Um, Captain America and all that stuff. And where I draw the line is with Captain Marvel. Did I say Captain Marvel? I'm Captain America. Chris Evans, Captain America. Chris Evans and Mark Ruffalo are are nuts as far as I'm concerned, but they do a great job. They aren't marketing those movies as feminist or social justice films like they did for Captain Marvel. And the Captain Marvel movie was kind of bad, okay, because they really tried. It was ham-fisted. So I got no problem with Brie Larson. I've praised her acting. I think she's all right. I I disagree with her politics. I think it was a bad movie. I think she's a bad choice. Chris, Chris Evans, I think he's got wacky politics, but he did, he did meet with Republicans, so I can respect him for that. Mark Ruffalo's kind of nuts, but I think he's a great Hulk. I love Thor Ragnarok. It's an awesome movie. So Patrick Stewart, man, like by all means, he said, uh, I don't know what else they're saying. Um, Variety's Daniel Holloway dis- details that Stewart described the play as a profoundly angry attack on a society that treats marginalized people as subhuman. You see, 
Patrick Stewart didn't hold any of these wacky views when he was doing the original series. I believe now that these actors are adopting this stuff to pretend to be in line with whatever it is their tribe is supposed to be believing. But the real problems of the left has been driven off the rails. Conservatives are still conserva- conservating or whatever. You know, there's th- Republicans going to Republican. You know what I mean? Nothing's really changed. But the left has become completely nuts. They're screeching at the orange man. They're screeching about Brexit. They're screeching about marginalized peoples and all that other stuff. It's like, dude, calm down. Star Trek addressed this stuff a long time ago. You're not, you're not saying anything right now. You're literally just spewing out buzzwords. So you know what? I'm a bit upset. I am, I am triggered here. I am, I, am, I am outraged and I will shed a tear because I love Star Trek The Next Generation. And, I, and, and it, was, it was predictable. A lot of people knew they would completely ruin this. They say this back in November during a panel discussion about Star Trek Picard. The actor spoke about the importance of diversity in the world of entertainment and as well as well as his embarrassment regarding the Brexit vote. Okay, calm down, dude. Seriously, you sound weird. Yes, diversity is fantastic. Star Trek always championed that. You don't need to act like virtue, you don't need a virtue signal. You were literally in Star Trek, a progressive show, and you can say, our show did it. We were leading it. And we'll do it. Great. Next. So now it just sounds like he's pandering. That's, that's the point. I'm going I'm to wrap it up there. Okay, that's the point. What these, what these older progressives are doing, they're, they're scared of turning into old fogies, okay? So they're going to say whatever the kids are saying or what they think the kids are saying on woke Twitterati, when in reality, you sound nuts. Whatever, man. Star Trek and Star Wars. I'm, uh, Star Wars is dead. This might be bad. We'll see what happens. I am still excited to see Jonathan Frakes and Patrick Stewart come together, though. We'll see if it's really as bad as it might seem. Stick around. I got a couple more segments in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. Far-left protesters march around waving Soviet and communist flags, carrying weapons, black masks, hoods, sunglasses. They bash people over the head who dare express their First Amendment rights, and they say, bigot, 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 whatever. You get the point. Over in Hong Kong, however, they're waving American flags. They're singing the American national anthem while the police beat them down as they fight for their, their freedom and their independence. Now, over in America, people say, Trump is bad. And they say, you know, the one guy from Vox is saying what happened with the Ukrainian airliner is Trump's fault and the escalation and all that stuff. Meanwhile, over in Iran, incredible moment as Iranian students refuse to step on U.S. and Israeli flags amid anti-government marches as Trump warns the country's leaders not to kill its protesters. You'd think at the bare minimum you would not kill your protesters, but no, lo and behold, these countries in the Middle East tend to uh, kind of do that. And Iran has done that right now. I'm not saying it's everyone in Iran. Certainly there are people in Iran who support the regime and support Suleimani. You actually have protesters refusing to step on the American flag. It's actually, I think, I wonder if they have a, excuse me, there's video here. Their protesters marching. They're actually criticizing the Iranian government. They're, they're, They're insulting them pretty, like pretty harshly. And here we can see this is American flags and few people would actually stand on them because they didn't want to walk on the flags. I don't necessarily know what the point of the flags on the ground is for other than, I guess, to walk on it. It's a sign of disrespect. They walk across it. Well, students actually split up and forked around it as they chanted awful things about the government. You see, before all this escalation, there were massive protests against the government of Iran and they went around and killed a bunch of their protesters. Surprise, surprise, it's an Islamic theocracy. Now the protesters are speaking out and there's a, there's a couple crazy, there's crazy things like a British, I think a British ambassador got arrested and released. Let's read this. And the main point I want to make as, as I want you to consider this, while this isn't representative of everyone in Iran, 
I just want to point out how strange it is that in America, they cheer for, for communism, while the people in Hong Kong cheer for America. And while in, 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 uh, in America, you have people criticizing Trump. Well, meanwhile, in Iran, people are refusing to step on the flags. To me, that's kind of crazy. Let's read. Daily Mail reports, this is the incredible moment hundreds of Iranian students refused to step on the American and Israeli flags amid anti-government marches in the country and a warning to its leaders from Donald Trump to not kill protesters. The clip taken at Shahid Beheshti University on Sunday shows crowds deliberately avoiding walking over the stars and stripes and the Star of David before furiously berating those that do. Ali Khamenei's regime is said to have painted the flags the main entrance of the university for students to walk over as a sign of disrespect. In 2016, Iranian professor Sadegh Zibakalam, who has avoided walking on the flags in the past, said, it is a sign of disrespect toward the nation. Placing the flag of a country on the ground and stepping on it is an error, a sign of disrespect toward that nation. Thousands had on Saturday gathered in front of the gate of the Amir Kabir University of Technology near the former U.S. embassy in Tehran to protest the government and Iran's Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei for mistakenly downing a civilian passenger plane. President Trump issued a stark warning to the leaders of Iran Sunday, tweeting, to the leaders of Iran, do not kill your protesters. Thousands have already been killed or imprisoned by you, and the world is watching. Trump is absolutely right, especially after they downed that, that, that commercial airliner. More importantly, the USA is watching. Turn your back on, uh, turn your back on and let reporters roam free. Stop the killing of your, uh, of your great people, uh, your great Iranian people. Now, I got to say, it is, a, it is a strange and weird world. Brian Stelter of CNN ran a segment and he tweeted out, Trump is right. They need to respect their journalists. And I saw that and I said, here, here, Brian, absolutely. You know, I don't think uh, uh, CNN is, is, is the absolute worst. I just think they're generally bad. And I think Brian's got his political bent and I think he's chasing after the ratings. But I give it to him when, he, you know, you praise people when they do the right thing. Trump is right. It's, it's, it's simple. Don't kill your protesters. Let journalists do their jobs. Anybody who disagrees with that is, is, is any, anyone who disagrees is nuts. Donald Trump tweeted out in Farsi. I'm not sure if it was that tweet, but it is the most liked Farsi tweet in the history of social media. So certainly right now we've got some, some unity forming where I think everyone in America can agree, let the protesters do their thing. Certainly, however, there are a lot of people who are going to criticize these protesters and say, oh, it's fake. It's astroturfing. They're going to claim the only reason CNN and Trump Trump are aligned on this one is because it's the war machine. Listen, man, Iran shot down a commercial plane and they admitted it. They absolutely admitted it. Okay. So I think it's about time we stop playing games and it's, and it's, and and I'll, I'll throw some shade towards Tulsi as much as I'm a big fan. She was on, I think it was Fox News, and she was asked several times, and she would not say it was Iran's fault. I get it. She's got to cater to the Democrats, but I think you need to say it. It is Iran's fault. Okay, listen, I am one of the fiercest critics of, the, of America in the, in the Middle East. I think we need to get out. I can say 50 million times, and I have been critical to, the, to, to a decent extent of Trump's escalation in these areas. While I understand why he wanted to take out Soleimani, why other people in government did, why he's been sanctioned and, 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 and targeted before, but they never actually did anything about it. I just think it's going to keep leading to escalation. So while I don't want to defend, you know, Suleimani for who he is or anything like that, I want to criticize the actions of escalation, right? That's fine. But I have to stress, we're operating in Iraq. Iran is crossing that border. They're sending their general into Iraq. They're sending missiles into Iraq and then they blew up a plane in their own territory. I'm sorry, you can't compare that. That is Iran's fault. So my hat goes off figuratively, to the protesters 
for, for you know, refusing to, to defile or, or disrespect symbols of the American and Israeli flags. And this actually gives me a lot of hope for the future. Because I'll tell you this, man, nobody wants war, right? We say that. The reality is there are some people who do. The big, you know, international weapons manufacturers, and there are a lot of zealots in Iran who do want war. But these people don't. And when I see this, I see a group of people that can, we can stand side by side with and say, we don't need to fight. We'll sort this out some other way. Instead, what have we gotten? Okay. And I don't blame these people. I respect them. But Iran has targeted, you know, the tankers in the Gulf. They've targeted Saudi oil fields. They have, they have worked with these militias. They are a disruptive force. Everyone knows it. You can contest what happened in the Gulf. Some people were claiming the U.S. is staging and all this other stuff. No, I don't want to play those games, man. Okay. It is a fact that Iran has been doing this. Yes, the U.S. is a belligerent in the conflict. Okay. It's not like we're innocent, right? But to act like Iran isn't a part of this game is ridiculous. I'm going to give us, I'm going to give us, uh, we're going to move on. We're going to, we'll re, we will read more, look at some more of these photos, but I want to, I want to say something that I find really interesting. There is a conspiracy theory floating around that I have heard from a few people that Iran targeted the plane on purpose. Now get this. They claimed the plane took a sharp turn towards a military base. That's, it's not true. It, it didn't. It's entirely possible. Someone just accidentally did it. And they're trying to provide an excuse. But there's a conspiracy theory that one of the Iranians on that plane was a spy working with NATO and Western powers. And so they knew it and they said, take him out. Now it's a conspiracy theory, but it is a rumor circulating among, I, I wouldn't say among the conspiracy, the, your typical conspiracy crowd. This is circulating among, uh, I don't want to say journalists necessarily, but some researchers. I'll put it that way. I heard it from a friend of mine, but I've heard it from some other people. They think that it was deliberate that they had a target on that, on that plane. I don't know. I don't know. None of that matters though. Don't speculate. I'm just letting you know, cause I heard, I thought it was interesting, uh, an interesting idea, but I think it's important to say for now, what's been admitted and what we know is that all, all that matters is they took out a commercial airliner. They say Trump had earlier sent a message of support to the people of Iran on Saturday saying we are inspired by your courage as thousands of angry demonstrators protested the regime in the streets of Tehran. To the brave, long-suffered people of Iran, I've stood with you since the beginning of, of my presidency, and my administration will continue to stand with you. We are following the protests, your protests closely, and are inspired by your courage, Trump tweeted in English and Farsi. That was the tweet that was like the most like Farsi tweet in history. You know what, man? If Trump brings us to war with Iran, I believe he will be the worst president we've, we've had in a really, really long time. If Trump brings us to peace with Iran, he may be one of the greatest presidents we've had in a very, very long time. And it really does hinge on peace in the Middle East. And I think right now I am extremely hopeful we might actually see that peace. After Iran screwed up this badly, there is a shock to the global system. Nobody wants war. Okay. Like in these countries, we don't, there are companies and crazy people who want it. I get it. But for the most part, nobody wants it. And if the international community is now forced to recognize what Iran has been doing and force them to back down, and it opens the door for protesters like this who refuse to defile or, or dis, uh, disrespect the American Israeli flags, that's profoundly meaningful. That means Americans can meet side by side with many of these people and say, what can we do to make things better for everybody and stop the conflict, stop the militias, stop the attacks, stop the war. This gives me hope. But I will say, we saw all of those people cheering for Suleimani at his funeral. And a lot of people say, oh, it's fake. It's staged. No, 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 no. Stop. Zealots are real, man. There are zealots in these countries. They are real. They exist. It doesn't mean all 90 million people in this country feel that way. Clearly they don't. But there are a lot of people in that country 
who are very nationalistic, pro-Iran, and hate us and can consider themselves martyrs. But if these are the voices that can be elevated, then it's good news for the people of both countries. You know the war machine wants war. The, the average people don't want war. When the war machine starts war, you rile up people on both sides. And so I want to say to these people, you know, who would, who would say respect the flags of these other countries, I absolutely uh, respect what you've done. I'll respect your flag. And I hope that there is a path towards peace in our futures. And I hope to one day normalized relations where we can send Coca-Cola and McDonald's and we can bring, you know, uh, Iranian goods and products and the sanctions and everybody can get along and we can celebrate. I know people who are both Iranian and American, and it's crazy to me that these people exist. You know, they 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 have ties to both countries. And I hope that in the future, communications technology and culture brings us to a place of just world peace. So I'll leave it there. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. Greta Thunberg wrote this op-ed for The Guardian. At Davos, we will tell world leaders to abandon the fossil fuel economy. You know what I love more than anything about Greta and this faux environmentalist left is that they're basically Wonder Woman in the latest Wonder Woman movie where they think by slaying the god of war, they will end climate change. There is no head to the beast. It is running around. It is a chicken. The chicken already doesn't have a head. It is a headless chicken spinning in circles. The real problem is you. You and me and Greta and everyone else. The real problem is that we're wasteful. That's what it's all about. So here's what I love about this. You know what you need to do to change minds and make the world a better place? Encourage investment in new technologies, which I will respect if Greta goes and does, and encourage people to get better lights, to use less water. But there's a really, really easy thing you can say to people. And I say it all the time. Listen, I'll tell you this right now. How would you like to save 15% or more on your electric bill? You can do so by switching to cleaner means. Recycling, reusable straws. There's a bunch of things you can do that actually can save you a ton of money. Hey, saving money is great. You get better bulbs. It might cost you twice as much today, but it'll save you three, four times as much in the, in the long run. The bulbs won't die out. So we have this story. I'm not going to, I can't, I'm not going to read the the Reddit Thunberg op-ed simply because Guardians locked me out. Um, But I do have the Washington Examiner talking about what happened. And I must absolutely point out the hilarity of Greta Greta Thunberg. She did. She she really went to Davos. You know where Davos is? At the Switzerland, right? I've been to Davos. It was expensive. I hated it. Of all the places, the privileged Uber elite that is Greta. I, I just love it. Listen, while she's up there ranting and raving about how, you know, everybody else needs to change their lives and take all these dramatic actions and these, and these executives have to bend over backwards, she is the epitome of global privilege, complaining that we have stolen her childhood and how dare you. How dare you, I say, madam, going to Davos of all places. Now, I know that's where you need to be to point out these people. I get that. I just think it's rather silly that she is the epitome of global elite and wealth and privilege, and she has no idea how the real world works. In an op-ed published days before political and business leaders met at the, meet at the annual Davos World Economic Forum in Switzerland, 17-year-old climate change activist Greta Thunberg blasted older generations for not moving quickly to meet her demands for nations to completely divest from fossil fuels. How insane is that? Do you have any idea how many people will die if they turned off fossil fuels right now? Do you have any idea how much of our infrastructure is completely dependent on fossil fuels? Dude, 
I would like us to start weaning off fossil fuels. I love the idea of, of uh, um, renewable, they call it renewable, but cleaner energies, right? Solar, wind, tidal, uh, dam, you know, hydroelectric, whatever. She tweeted, we don't want these things done by 2050, 2030, or even 2021. We want this done now as in right now so that ten, tens and hundreds of millions of people will die overnight when they have no heat, no food, no transportation. You see, that doesn't work. It works on paper when you know nothing. It's easy to stand up on your soak bo- your, your, your ivory, it's an ivory soapbox, and stand above everyone and say, we want it done now, how dare you? And then there are people literally starving to death who are completely, de- you know, who are completely dependent on the next shipment of petroleum or fossil fuels to help them farm to save their lives. Yeah, humans have a serious problem. Killing a bunch of people, is that what you really want? They say this, quote, Young people are being let down by an older generation of, and those in power, wrote the Swedish teenager in The Guardian. To some, it may seem like we are asking for a lot. Yes, the, the death of millions of people. But this is just the very minimum effort needed to start this rapid, sustainable transition. The fact that this still is 20, in 2020 hasn't been done already, quite frankly, is a disgrace. Let me just repeat what she's basically saying is we need to let millions of people die today. Uh, seriously, maybe she just doesn't know that, you know. But that would mean something even scarier. An ignorant child who left school, who doesn't understand the complete dependence, the the near complete dependence we have in in a lot of ways on on fossil fuels, is saying, right now, divest, shut it down. Thunberg apologized in December after stating the world leaders should be put against the wall if they refuse to meet her demands on environmental policy. Now, that's unfair, examiner. Let me clarify. In America, we know what it means to put someone against the wall. It means to kill them. In Sweden, it means just to like, you know, push them up against the wall and, and give them a scolding. I asked some people I knew in Sweden. They said, no, it just means like, you know how you, like, you have that trope of the principal grabbing the kid and pushing him against the wall and wagging his finger. It's like that. Not like the Soviet one. However, there is still a kind of slight overlap in how, you know, don't say that. We demand that this year's forum participants from all companies, banks, institutions, and governments immediately halt all investments in fossil fuel exploration and extraction immediately end all fossil fuel subsidies, and immediately and completely divest from fossil fuels. Time Magazine named a person of the year. Yeah, we get it. Listen, man. I can't remember who said it. The reason it takes time, okay, to get out of the fossil fuel industry is because we have to replace it with something. Like, could you imagine if someone came by and said, we're shutting the heat off to your house? You would die. In fact, Rachel Maddow actually claimed in a segment, Russia might turn the power off in Fargo, perhaps, in the middle of winter and people will freeze to death. Well, Greta Thunberg is arguing for that. Look, I know she's not directly saying, shut down their heat so they die in the winter. I know what she's really saying. Fossil fuels are bad and they're destroying the world. Stop using them. Okay, if we did that right now, yes, you would then turn off someone's heat in the dead of winter. It's January. Not a smart idea, right? Okay, When can we fully get those homes retrofitted so people can survive in the winter? By 2021? In a year? Probably not. So if you want to shut it down now, I assure you, you will kill a lot of people. So I can't stand about these people. They don't care about humanity. They're egotists. They're hedonists. They're driven by their own personal self-satisfaction. Thunberg posted a link to her opinion piece and said, warning adults not to twist her words because child climate activists live under constant threat just for communicating the situation situation we are in. No, 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 don't worry. She said, and please remember, many of us who have signed this are children. 
Many of us live under constant threat just for communicating the situation we are in. So do not make up your own quotes or twist our words. Quote what we actually say instead. I don't care if you're a child. If a petulant child comes to me and says, shut off their heat. I don't care if they die in the winter. I'll say, you're a stupid child. And I'm not going to sacrifice that elderly family because you have no idea what you're talking about. Many of us, the adults in the room, actually understand the threat climate change poses. Many conservatives don't agree. So you know what we're doing? We're trying to get them on board while making sure people don't starve to death and die. Meanwhile, the children are screeching and having a temper tantrum. And when the adults say, quiet, they go, don't yell at me. I'm a child. I I don't care. I don't care how old you are. If a 10-year-old started screaming, listen, man, if a five-year-old was screaming because there was like a sawhorse in the middle of the road stopping cars from barreling into a a farmer's market, I would say, we're not moving the sawhorse, dude. Sorry. I know you want to clear the streets, but there's people here. We can't just let cars drive through the market. Give us a day to clear the debris. They might be screaming, look at all this garbage. We need to remove it. Yes, we're actively trying to remove it. They may say, look at this thing, this infrastructure, this road. It's a bad thing. It needs to be changed. We need to improve it, this bridge. Okay, we can't just tear everything down like that. There are people who rely on these things. So this is the problem I ultimately have, right? Greta Thunberg, AOC, these far leftists preach these things that literally can't be implemented because, first of all, imagine someone came to you and said, your, your, the road, in, the driveway in front of your home is uh, uh, bad for the local, I don't know, rabbits. You'd be like, okay, I would like to fix that. When can I get someone to tear up the driveway, lay down sod and, and dirt and grass, and then build a new alternative? Well, scheduling could take a long time. City inspections, you know, I got to raise the money. I think I haven't done it in a year. No, we refuse. You must do it now. And then what? They show up with pitchforks and like, you know, our pickaxes. No, you literally can't do anything. You're talking about moving the global infrastructure over right now. It's never going to happen, man. And then the other problem is with like AOC and all that is that they're proposing, you know, money for people unwilling to work. I know they got rid of it. They're talking about, you know, they, 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 they talk about slowly replacing planes with high-speed rails to make planes less, less necessary. And then you literally have in the UK activists blocking the production of a high-speed rail literally for the purpose of lowering their carbon emissions. So you know what, man? Greta, here's what I want you to do. Here's my favorite. Greta, will you please go to the UK and ask those protesters blocking the high-speed rail to move? Because they're trying to reduce their carbon emissions. I'm going to end with this. I really want to do this segment. I recommend, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an idea I want to see implemented called the Greta Thunberg Challenge. I'd like you to go outside wearing a nice, you know, you know, polo shirt and khakis, wave and smile, shake people's hands, explain to them very quickly, you know, here's some of the problems with climate change. Some of the ways we can improve this is by you turning your lights off, using low flow, uh, you know, uh, uh, showers and stuff like that. Those are the kind of things that are going to improve the environment and, and, and at an individual level. Use reusable products. You can buy reusable straws where you just rinse them out and you don't got to throw them away. That's it. You do those little things. And if everyone did, we would dramatically reduce our carbon footprint. Thank you for your time. Do that. And then the Greta Thunberg challenge is to stand out there scowling. And then someone walks by you, you go, you're stealing my childhood. How dare you? And see if they respond and see if they agree to make positive changes to improve the, to improve the environment. What's that? They run away from you screeching or calling the police, calling you a crazy person. You see why these people are problematic? Go out and tell someone, 
that we want to shut off the heat from someone's house today to get off fossil fuels. And they're going to say, but they'll die. Yeah, well, it's the sacrifice they want to make, apparently. Okay, okay, Greta. Go, go chill in Davos with the global elites who spend thousands of dollars to party and do these big events. I know if you're in Europe, it's not as hard to get there, I guess, so she's Swedish. But Davos, of all places, the World Economic Forum, literally the epitome of global privileged elite telling the rest of the world to sacrifice what little they have. We have lifted people out of poverty. And guess what? We used fossil fuels to do it. I would like to see a positive change. We're not going to do it tonight because I am not going to take away the, 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 the comforts and the, and the security of the elderly and of the poor because you're upset. Okay, sorry, it's not going to happen. I'll see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. Podcast 630. Thanks for hanging out.